Welcome to Comics Bay. Comic Bay. <laughs> oh yeah. Podcast. We're back. <laughs> Sitting in the old living room. This is us just training to be the early morning DJs we were always meant to be. That's right. We're going to start, we started really late at night and now we've slowly been moving our time back further and further. Which results in a lot of, a lot of fucking ambient noise. If you guys can hear any of this shit in the background, just like... Just ignore it. Just oh, you pretend mean, like it's not here. You mean the one Muni that came 30 seconds after the last Muni because right. they've been backed up for the last 45 minutes? San Francisco. It's <laughs> an efficient town. It's probably going to get a string of like seven trains just passing all within right. seconds of each other. And then one not for another like 40 minutes. Oh, this will help your commute, right? If all the trains come at once? Yeah. Like... Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. What a ridiculous city. I know. It's we love it. We just do we. <laughs> <laughs> we love things about it. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like we've, to be honest, it's like I think that we've just lived here too long. Um, we both went to college in San Francisco, and we basically just stayed here. Yeah, I, you know, I came a bright-eyed young man, full of <laughs> potential and mm-hmm. positive thoughts, and now I'm nothing, little more than a crusty justy. Oh god, <laughs> just <laughs> a, an angry, bitter old curmudgeon. <laughs> just a husk of a man. I. To be honest, like, the longer that we do live here, I think the more I get crusty and, like, angry. <laughs> like I thought you were going to be like, yeah, to be honest, he's right. He's a crusty <laughs> old man, and I couldn't love him more if I tried. It's true. Yeah. It's true. So, should we get into it before another train comes? I know, yeah. It's like, well, we're, this is going to be a speed podcast where mm. we're just going to try to get all of the content in mm. between trains. But, yeah. I feel like that's a fair contest. Can we beat San Francisco Muni? Can we be more efficient than the San Francisco? That's a bar so low you could roll over. I was it. gonna say I was like I don't really think that that's like yeah that that'd be a pretty a pretty easy fight <laughs> I feel like. So Marvels, we read Marvels this week. We read Marvels, not to be confused with the entire franchise that basically owns us now. Yeah, we sat down for. 48 hours and we read the entirety of marvel comics <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, we read the miniseries that came out in 1994 mm-hmm. written by kurt buziak and drawn slash painted by alex ross yeah it uh i'm hesitant to give a perfect score you really liked it i really liked i know it. <laughs> you know how i knew you really liked it how you would periodically stop reading it look at me and say this is really good. <laughs> um, I, how are you able to I, sift through the subtext? Like, you know, how could you tell? Some I... people call Batman the world's greatest detective, but not me. <laughs> I'm the world's greatest detective. I would say that's pretty accurate. God, you know, it's like, I feel like you know, we've just known each other for so long. You're really just able to pick on these subtle clues that I yeah. drop. Like, <laughs> it's just knowing someone. You, you know, know, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, it was really good. I was really hesitant when you brought it up to read on the podcast, just because I don't love superhero comics. No. Um, and I feel like I also am very bitter towards Marvel in general. Me too. Just because it's like I really do feel like they are holding us hostage. I mean, I think that it's gonna like, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like every time a movie comes out, it's just like, fuck. Like it's like I guess that I will go to see this along with like the rest of the world because yeah i don't like yeah. caught in the zeit like the zeitgeist undertow you know you're kind oh, of yeah. sucked <laughs> along the bottom of the ocean like oh go see civil war out oh, go I know, see like, no please you're just like <laughs> trying to crawl your way back to the oh, shore there's a second ant-man out <laughs> running out of air and i was like but i hated the first one so much amen <laughs> a fucking man thank you <laughs> 
Well, I mean, we're not going to tangent into that, but like... No, we really shouldn't. I just, I'm not a huge fan of superhero comics. Marvel, as a franchise, it's fine. It's whatever. I definitely like it better than, I would say, DC. Um, Amen. (laughs) But yeah, this book was phenomenal. Awesome. It was, I, okay. I will, I'm giving it an A minus. Okay. Um, like, 95%. Is this because you got confused about the Human Torch? No, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) But understandably, it's like, why do you have the same name for two different superheroes? Uh, Because Stan Lee was a resourceful young man who thought to himself, (laughs) I'll just take this name and cool powers and I'll just put it on a younger... Uh, It also doesn't help that that their alter egos look the fucking same. (laughs) Well, uh, well, yeah. No. It, yeah, it's like, you know what? I'm... But can you imagine how much creepier that would make it? Because throughout the beginning of this book, the Human Torch is like a middle-aged... He's an android, but he's a middle-aged man. He's very still. And then yeah. they cut to like 20 years later. Right. And he looks he looks roughly the same. He's Obviously, he's a teenager, but like he's basically a man. No, he looks... And, the, yeah, and it's like, he gee looks whiz, the same. Barbara, like, let's go check out some... Oh, he's dating like... a teenager, so yeah, just how like, creepy would that be if it was the same guy? You're like, Jesus, man, you're Well, like... that's why I had to ask, because I was just like, this is fucking weird. I was like, he, this is a total departure from his earlier character. You know, it, it's funny, because, like, that would have been super creepy if it was the same guy. Oh, uh, yeah. But I think that Marvel in the 60s already had enough creepy misogyny so it, it like i mean those were the times they were written in i'm not making a like a a judgment on them i'm just noting yeah. that some of those relationships were borderline if not outright super, creepy super questionable yeah, yeah you've sure. got professor x lusting after 16 year old jean gray and is that real oh yeah there's this one panel where it's just like wait in this book did i, I miss nev- that yeah because marvel in the 60s was very soap opera-y you yeah. know like and so it's like this panel of like Professor X basically like you know that Roy Lichtenstein Lichtenstein painting of the sort of weeping girl like oh, oh yeah know. yeah it's like imagine a Professor X kind of like and I can't tell her how much I love her oh. <laughs> and like that's your fucking student yeah man. I was like no 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 and how old are you yeah <laughs> like, exactly creepy old yikes Patrick Stewart or James McAvoy depending on which of the uh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> whatever that's fine. We'll discuss that off tape. I think we need, like, a splatter effect to, like, sort of symbolize, like, the vomit that I'm just, like... (laughs) I feel like... I don't know. I I like the... I like some of the newer X-Men... No. ...stuff. Bad. Anyway. Boring people standing around. Anyway. Okay. Okay. Okay, So, like, (laughs) I give it a 95% and A- only because of the ending. I don't even have to ask. I know you gave this four stars out of four stop <laughs> okay fine thank you i <laughs> i love this book you can't see how mad i am right now <laughs> <laughs> no. but i'm i just no <laughs> i'm gonna stop you right i like the book <laughs> i like the book a lot i remember as a young man i used to really shit on alex ross's art this is like probably preteen justin mm-hmm. where i didn't like the fact that he drew or that he painted superheroes as they're not really real people because, like, they look more realistic, but they yeah. are still... The superheroes are all idealized, but his Superman can tend to look middle-aged. His Spider-Man, he sometimes paints it so that you can see the shadow created by his nose and lips. Mm-hmm. And it 
it drove me crazy as a kid to be like, I don't want to fucking see Spider-Man's nose. Like, I don't want to see his lips. He looks stupid. <laughs> but I got to say, like, I, I've read this book maybe three to five times throughout my life. And I it knocks my socks off. I love this book. It The art is amazing. Like It fits so perfectly. I feel like we just talked about how, like, hyper-realism is not great sometimes. But... Th- this, like, isn't drawn. It's all painted. Like, this whole book is, like, a watercolor, like, masterpiece. It's just, like, it's incredible. Like, it's, you think it's realistic, but he's able to still give you that element of the fantastic. I'm not 100% about this, but I think that this book, in comics, people tend to praise writers more than artists. Or at least that's been my really? my experience. Yeah. That's really surprising to me, because comics is so visual i guess it is it is but i i guess i'm thinking of like how people think about stan lee Mm. you know where it's like he's the writer like jack kirby and all these other giants whose shoulders he stood on they did the bulk of the lifting when it comes to creating the marvel universe yeah but stan lee's the writer so everyone is like oh well it was his idea this font of miracles that flowed from Stan Lee's brain and luckily artists were able to capture it and I I just feel this isn't always the case because there are superstar artists but I have always felt like it's not it's Peter David's Hulk you know what I mean he's the writer he didn't draw this thing he Mm. had amazing artists working for him but it's Peter David's Hulk it's Alan Moore's Watchmen it's you know these sorts of things where the writer gets a lot of credit and I almost feel like this is a book where the painter gets all the credit the artist gets all the credit rightly so well i, mean, I the, disagree because the kurt, story okay kurt buziak gets it man he just he's writing this book in the 90s when people wanted like this sort of like grim gritty like yeah people's backs are being broken superman's dead heroes are toting machine guns well, yeah and what year did this come out this was 1994 when this okay. came out this is like the you're in the middle of the 90s wasteland <laughs> there was good work being created in the 90s yeah but the majority of work that was being churned out of the big two was this sort of like they're trying to ape the style of the superstars of the day so you're ending up with this like inferior like knockoff quality that just keeps like it was it, it was a dark time for mainstream comics mm-hmm. you could argue that independent comics had this you know flourishing like yeah but for mainstream comics it was a dark time and marvels it I, I, what can be said about Marvel's that? Well, that's what kind of makes sense then, because it's like, I feel like it is sort of a non-traditional take on superheroes, which is one of the reasons that I loved it so much. I actually feel like this is the perfect gateway comic, which is why I'm surprised that I'm only just reading this now. <laughs> like, I just feel like, like, we've known each other for like how many years? Six, and you've been seven, trying, years, six, seven years. And you've been trying to like get me like to like just be embedded in this comic world this whole time. I feel like all you had to do was like hand me this fucking comic. Like, and I should have known the moment I saw Kingdom Come on your on your night your your yeah. bed stand. I should have known. I should have been like, oh. I'll show her the real shit and slid Marvels over to you. Uh, I'm going to complain about that. Actually, um, Kingdom Come was also given to me by an ex-boyfriend. What? (laughs) What? I have a long, sordid history of dating comics guys. I have a type, okay? uh... (laughs) Well, I really love nerdy men who like comics. Just one of many. No. (laughs) No. um... But I would just say, I I bring that up only to... Were you dating real comics guys if they gave you Kingdom Come instead of Marvels? (laughs) I mean... It's funny because I feel like 
this would have this would have been it for me. Like yeah. it's like if someone had given this to me, like when I was like first like getting into this or reading any of this stuff, it's like this this is like this is the official gateway comic. If I'm gonna put this in a package with like five other comics to hand to someone who's never read comics before, like this, yeah, one hundred percent. It's a good book, and you know it's weird. I I often like sometimes I forget that it exists. Like, I think that might be why it took me so long to recommend it to you. And thank God for this podcast giving me a reason to reread this book. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's an it's a very, very good book, as I've said a million times now already. But it, it, like, I forgot how magical it was and how it sweeps you up. And, like, it, it's it's like a worm's eye view of this mir- miraculous things happening. You yeah. know, you're a little bitty human looking up at the silver surfer galactus all these like key moments in marvel history it starts with the creation of the marvel universe but it isn't like oh everything's connected by this one event from long ago Mm -hmm. it's just like this happens and then this happens and it's like you're living in this age it's like a snapshot of this time 1939 from the marvel comics number one up to 1974 the death of gwen stacy and that like that era of comics is so perfectly encapsulated the way he's able to kind of weave fiction and reality together, like, mm-hmm. I, it takes my breath away. And it's basically just, like, a sampler's platter of Marvel, like, the most popular Marvel characters of all time. Right, and historic moments in comics. Mm-hmm. It just feels so wonderful. And they, the superheroes are almost in the background. They're overhead. They're in- Yeah, like, they don't... I think that the main character... Phil, our boy Phil. Phil Sheldon, yeah, photojournalist. He, he um he only interacts, I think, directly with maybe like two or three. Yeah, he hits Cyclops with a brick during an anti-mutant racism Ooh. riot. Yeah, which I I really want to talk about that. That seems that seems like one of the biggest Marvel inconsistencies that I definitely want to get into. <gasps> is this a hot take? Hot take? Is it, yeah. Is it getting <laughs> sweaty in here? <laughs> All right, so I'm. In summarizing this, like, I'm not going to go, like, beat by beat. Like, no. it's just because you just can't. But you should read it beat by beat because there's so many Easter eggs and so many wonderful little jokes. And yeah. Weapons. I mean, and one of the things that I talk about frequently that I've definitely talked about on this podcast is how much I hate this sort of, like, clubhouse mentality of, like, ooh, did you catch that cool reference we did? But I feel like this comic is so approachable that you it almost like doesn't matter because it's like the references they make are so universal that it it doesn't feel gatekeepery at all like it's like they're it, laying it out there for you they're yeah. proud of it and they're like hey this is a cool thing that happened do you like that image here well, it is but also it's just like so much of the stuff that happens in this comic is so a part of just the um i don't know just the the shit that we know about now about Marvel just because from the movies and just from like all the extra stuff that it's like it's not it's not hard to like sort of understand what's going on or to get into but yeah anyway so our boy Phil Phil Sheldon what do you think about Phil I like him as a character I think they do a good job of showing him he's flawed in a lot of ways yeah but oftentimes like any good protagonist he kind of comes to a realization that makes him a better person Mm-hmm. And he doesn't even have, like, a crazy adventure, like, oh, he had to turn back the scrolls or fight yeah. the mandroids. It's like, he's just, you just see him, it's like slice of life, but you see him grow and change, and mm-hmm. I think he's wonderful. I really like him. I liked him, too. I definitely felt bad for his fucking wife, though. Oh, yeah. Doris. I, Doris. Uh, good long old Doris. Doris. Yeah. She puts up with some bullshit for I him. I know. <laughs> like, the man takes one vacation. I just remember 
This story spans from 1939 to 1974, and the man takes one fucking vacation. Like, literally, Doris's role in this comic is to just be, like, upset that she never sees her husband and that, like, he's constantly working, they never take a vacation. She gets the short end of the stick in that he's a workaholic and... But I think, like, why would you stick around for so long if there wasn't something there, right? Like, I mean, I guess, yeah. Like, it, do- it doesn't show them, like, ever bickering or, like, she definitely puts up with some shit. Yeah. I don't know. I think because he's not just, like, an asshole workaholic. He's, like, he's struggling to, like, make ends meet and, like, mm-hmm. support his family. So I think that he's a good dude. And I think those are just conversations that longtime married people have where they're, like, take a break. Like, you have to spend some time <laughs> yeah. with your kids. Like because we should I'm tired of talking to them. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but anyway, so it starts off like Phil, he's like a journalist. You also get this cool cameo. Um, actually, it's not even really a cameo. He's like a main character in this, but it's uh, J.J. Jameson. As a young man. As everybody will remember from the original Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies played by J.K. Simmons. <sighs> best, Such a good actor. The uh, best J- live action J. Jonah Jameson I've ever seen. I mean, yeah. he, so, yeah, I, I this podcast is just going to me gushing and it's so embarrassing <laughs> so my my hand my heart is a flutter my cheeks are flush it's just i love this comic but yeah jay jones and james because you see that quality of jjj yeah that like it's there but he's a young man and it uh, it like makes sense you know it's great though because it's like so he so obviously because our main character is like a photojournalist and he works for the bugle so you come into well con- he works he's freelance so he moves oh, okay. around through the city Okay, well, so, fair sorry, I just because JJJ is there and he talks to him, but also like he's got other kind. He's a he's yeah. a hardworking. He's a hustler. This he also Phil Sheldon like, drops one of the most um, interesting and like intense parts of the whole comic, which we'll get to later. This book is kind of broken up into four issues. I would say the first issue, which obviously we start off in 1939, um, and Phil's like a young, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed journalist. It's all about sort of like the rise of the superhero, and it starts off with the Human Torch, who is, I guess, not the guy from Fantastic Four. Nope. Yep. Not confusing or weird at all. Um, And then also the Submariner, who is like a weird version if like Spock and Aquaman had a baby. Um, he predates both of those characters. Well, then... So it's like <laughs> if he split into two distinct... <laughs> you know, no, it, it, he predates both those characters. Sure. I, I maintain what I said. Um, like, <laughs> They're the first two superheroes, and it's really interesting because it kind of like talks about... Everything is from Phil's perspective, and it, it's like... It talks about the rise of superheroes is creating all of this like terror, but also awe. And also it's like they're right on the precipice of like World War II. So soon into this first issue, we also see Captain America. But yeah, there's this general mentality where everyone is like on board and like supportive of this. Well, I think it, it's, it switches, right? Like halfway mm-hmm. through that issue, it's like terrified of the Submariner, terrified of yeah. the Human Torch. And then they're behind Captain America and then... Who Nelly? There, you know, <laughs> things are flying. They love the Marvels. Yeah, so that that issue is sort of like the golden age slash like war comic period mm-hmm. of Marvel's history, and I think they do a really good job because like, so both the Human Torch and Submariner debuted in Marvel Comics number one, back when Marvel Comics the company was Timely Comics, mm-hmm. and so they they debut and like the Submariner is basically comic books first antihero where he's like 
you know, he's a noble person, but he's like fighting for the, he's like fighting for his underwater people. He's not really, he's not, he's uh, an anti-hero. Aquaman. He's at <laughs> odds with the surface dwellers. Mm-hmm. And then you have the Human Torch, who is an android. And he's sort of like, his stories were like science fiction gone wrong. He's like a science fiction monster kind of. And then superheroes were popular at the time. So I think they just slowly morphed yeah. into superheroes. And then from there, they became very patriotic and started fighting Nazis mm-hmm. along with Captain America. And so that's, that's like the history of Marvel Comics. And then this issue just does a great job of summer, summarizing all of that into like, what would the general public feel is like, oh, science fiction gone wrong. I mean, and that's what, that is what was interesting is that, um, yeah, when you're seeing it all from like Phil's perspective and the people around him, sort of like his family and like Doris and like the people he works with, um, it is just kind of like, they're basically just living in like, a war zone constantly. New York is constantly being ravaged. Yeah. Like, and it's just, what I liked about this comic is how like realistic it is where it's like, there's this one scene where like him and Doris are like sitting at the table, like listening to the radio because they're like, do we need to evacuate? Like what, what is happening? Phil, like he gets Doris to safety and then he's like going to like cover everything that's happening. And the Submariner basically like unleashes a tidal wave on New York. Ooh, yeah. And then it's like, it's crazy because after that, it just shows like people rebuilding because that's actually what would happen. It's like the yeah. city was fucking destroyed. You want to like, know something crazy? Hmm. That has to do with that scene. Yeah. So that was comics first crossover. Timely Comics was like, oh, fire and water. Perfect. And so uh, in Marvel Comics number issue eight and nine, is the first crossover between those two. I guess each issue is told from a different, like, the Submariner's point of view. Yeah. And the, it's the same story, but told from the different points of view of the two characters. Mm-hmm. And that tidal wave is, like, a very famous panel from the Golden Age. So I, I just, sorry, that was a weird tangent. Or No, I mean, yeah, it's it was really cool. And that's the other thing is, like, you feel like, again, going back to the sort of, like, smorgasbord or sampler platter aspect of this book, you kind of feel like you're getting the highlights of like all of these iconic moments yeah with none of the stumbles like they do a pretty good job of not having racist or misogynistic moments yeah in, like, <laughs> is pretty good at leaving some stuff on the cutting room yeah, floor yeah it's like you know what like, uh... <laughs> <laughs> like, um... so issue two yeah movie this one this was a good one um because well, this is sorry to cut you off yeah but... This is an issue that won an Eisner. The Eisners mm. are basically the Oscars of comics, and mm. this is the one. So it is, a, yeah, it, sorry, it's a good one. No, no, I, yeah, I, I totally agree. It's well-deserved. It's like, um, it's interesting, too, because, yeah, so this sort of, like, takes a turn, and it kind of starts exploring sort of the darker side of, like, what it means to have superheroes active in the world with people who are just li- living their lives, um, and also, it's when my favorite Marvel characters of all time, the X-Men, show up. Um, which you I said have... the lame X-Men. How dare you? Um, what are you even talking about? Angel? Yeah, whatever. So Beast? And he's not even a beast. He's just a dude with big feet and big hands. Yeah. Cyclops is dope. Yeah. Like... Iceman is dope. <laughs> Marvel Girl and later Phoenix is awesome. Yeah, so, you know what? This iteration of the X-Men, don't get me wrong, I love Jack Kirby, and he did a great job drawing them. But this is the iteration that's kind of like, uh, they took everything that was working in their other books, Teenage Angst from Spider-Man, you know, inner group conflict from the Fantastic Avengers. And, yeah, they like, yeah, oh, actually Fantastic Four, that's a better example. Mm. Wow. <laughs> you can't see it, but I'm taking off my door cat and I'm gently placing <laughs> Yes, it, it is I who wears the crown now. <laughs> <laughs> um but they were basically taking everything that worked and putting it into the X-Men. They're like, we don't need a reason for them to have powers. They're mutants. And then they, they slap that thing together and it's kind of whatever. 
Well, I mean, it's like they do have powers. It's their mutant powers. No, I know. I'm just saying, like, Spider-Man had a reason. It was, oh, a spider bit him and oh, it was irradiated. Yeah. The Hulk was irradiated. Uh, Iron Man built his suit. Like, the, everybody's got a reason for their powers. And the X-Men, they're like, mm, they're well, born with it. I'm actually really glad that you brought that up because that was kind of my biggest beef with this issue where it's like, so the X-Men are just, like, widely feared. Like, people... And hated. And hated. They do not like them. There's actually, like, in this issue, there's a mutant riot sorry that is misleading there is a riot about mutants where it's like people are just like afraid of them and there's like something happens i forget and um they these guys kind of like phil gets kind of whipped up into a mob he gets swept along in this mob where everyone's like come on we saw mutants and they tried to kill this guy (laughs) and it's cool because like they describe how the x-men tried to kill this guy and it was like if you read that actual issue of x-men comics they're saving him from falling off of a scaffold they're like working as a team to save him but the people think of it as like they're attacking him it's you know i mean yeah and that's like that's throughout this entire book where it's just like misunderstandings and like someone was framed but um yeah with like the x-men one thing that's weird is like these people in this comic world are like they're totally fine with like the thing who is a giant orange Mm, they are in the character they're also fine with the hulk no, nobody's fine with the Hulk. He's a mon- the army's after him. They're trying what are to you kill him. About? But no, it's like they're they're like, trying to kill him. He's yeah, not one of the Marvels. No one's okay with the Hulk. No one is. It okay. kind of seems like Except they Rick are. Jones. I don't know. Bitch. He's like wow. He's he's part of the Avengers. Like people generally accept them, whereas like the X Men have to like go into hiding. He's part of the Avengers in the movies, and he was. No, he is in. He's yeah. No, he's a founding member of the Avengers. I think he lasts all of two to three issues. Well, it's like in the one picture that he appears in, he's like with Tony Stark and Captain America. No, like, no, I know he's he is an Avenger. He's a founding member, but it's like. They got rid of him real quick because the Hulk doesn't work as... In fact, in issue four, he teams up with the Submariner to, like, fuck up the Avengers or, like, they are going to do something and the Avengers stop them. And that's how Captain America is unearthed from the ice. You guys can't tell, but I, like, checked out in the middle of that. Yeah, her <laughs> eyes glazed over and there's this little dribble, this little dribble of jewel, drool running down her cheek. Um, oh, sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> it was the most horrible dream. <laughs> this man kept droning on and on and on. Oh, my God. I just, yeah, I love the X-Men. Um, but so your your issue is that, like, if they're hated and feared, why aren't the Marbles? Yeah. And um, it's sort of like, is it because they are born, not made? Is that what everyone's okay with? I have a theory. In the fictional universe... It's because they're born and they're seen as society's, as humanity's replacement. They're not homo sapien, they're homo superior. Right, yeah. So that's like the in, however flimsy that is, that's the in-universe explanation. Um, I have a theory that Kurt Busiak, because he, he does, he just spins a good yarn, but he also can get a little meta-textual. Mm-hmm. And I have this theory that like, you see the heroes start off as idealized and everybody loves him and oh wow hulk you know smashed my car and i'm trying to get the peace autograph and everyone's like oh gaga over these superheroes but then the superheroes start to lose their shine and you see how easily the public over the course of the series you see how easily the public turns on them or spits on them or just kind of is like willing to believe that they're actually bad and i think that's because marvel you know superheroes when they first started were like these super corny over the top like I'm a good guy and we're going to punch this bad guy and that's because society's good and everything's perfect. 
And Marvel kind of made its bones with like getting more into like nitty gritty, like the public hates and fears these things they don't understand. There's intergroup conflict. And so I think like Kurt Busiek purposely started this book off shining and positive. And then you kind of like, you see that even though mutants are outright hated in fear. Yeah. You sort of start to see the superheroes fall from grace as well. Oh, totally. And well, especially as they get more and more corrupt as like this like book kind of continues on. What do you, when you say corrupt, what do you mean? Well, I mean, like, so the public perception of superheroes, oh, especially, okay. like, moving into the other issues, like, especially Tony Stark, where yeah. they're just like, oh my gosh, like, who did he pay off? He's probably paying the cops. Oh, he's like, having, yeah, because you keep seeing his, like, his society, like, his PR people keep yeah. reaching out to the journalists. Right, and, like, trying oh. to spin it where it's like, oh, you'll be, like, super interested in all of the charities that we, like, donate to. And, like, yeah, it, it is interesting seeing them from that perspective where and I feel like also like our main character Phil kind of flip-flops where it's like I think that he sort of starts off like really fearing what it means to have superheroes in the world and then by the end of it he's like 100% on board where he's just like we're hypocrites like we expect these people to come and save us but then we like sort of treat them like trash essentially yeah poke them in the eyes yeah the crazy uses. yeah yeah no exactly I think I think Phil has a really interesting character growth because like any, like he just mirrors the sentiments of the public, yeah. Which I imagine would be the real world sentiments. You'd kind of get like you get him like fearing it initially, getting swept up in the hype, mm-hmm. and then kind of like starting to get a little grumpy about it. Feel like, it's like a TV show where it's like, you know what I mean? Where he's like, oh, yeah. this is awesome, and then you're like, ah, whatever. It's more of the same. Yeah. Game of Thrones season eight. How dare you? Well, actually, you know what? I kind of agree with that. I can't. Yeah. I not even I can defend the last season of a game of thrones so i well, like the last two or three start. you know it's yeah. you know what it has its flaws it has its moments too though um i'm just <laughs> saying like i think that he does a really good job of he kind of he comes around to mutants a little bit he sort of accepts superheroes for what they are but he can also see the negative that they bring like i think he's just got a really interesting character arc yeah, I mean, and that's why it's like this is such a good book, and why it's why he is so I don't know if I would say relatable. Yeah, he's pretty relatable. I think he's a good everyman to kind of peer into this world from. Yeah. And like the idea of superheroes existing in real life, we kind of got into this in the Killing Joke podcast, mm-hmm. but it's so corny and yeah. like kind of dumb. Yeah. You know, it's like the more realistic you make a superhero, the more questions it brings up. And so I think that Kurt Busiek does a good job of making it feel like it could be real. Without ever, like, we never address, like, would an irradiated spider, what would it actually do to a person? You know, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, if Spider Man's all, like, fucked up, which yeah. we kind of saw in the um, third Spider Man with Tobey Maguire. Have those movies, like, been lost to time? Like, do people, like, even. People love the first two, especially guess, yeah. the second one. And the third one is, like, pretty universally panned. And then the Andrew Garfield ones are just, like, forgotten. I never and now, saw them. I saw the first one and it sucked, and I knew this the second one would be more of the same. Yeah. And then uh, I I think the Marvel movies are just like a cash cow right now, and but I maintain where that is Tobey Maguire? What is he doing? I think he's kind of an asshole, and I think that kind of like <laughs> has I think the work has kind of dried up for him. I think he's pretty good at poker, so he makes a bunch of money doing poker is tournaments. Is that real? Don't quote me on that, but I I'm. 90% sure. I kind of love imagining Tobey Maguire like being like sad and like angry and just be like, yeah, I was Spider-Man once. I don't think he's sad. Poker. I think he's just a dick. Okay. Um, and so I same. think, yeah, and I think that his star has lost its, you know. Shine? Yeah. Yeah. Ugh, I hated him as Toby, as Peter Parker. I thought he was I a bad really Peter well. Parker. Really? Mm-hmm. No, I feel like he plays like derpy 
I just, um, all of those problems of like. Derpy nerd boy. I just didn't, this is, I don't even know if I want to say this publicly. We can just have Kyle edit it out later. Kyle will edit this out? Yeah. Okay. Kyle! Kyle, come here, boy. Our Kyle's our son. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who is also our intern. Unpaid intern. <laughs> um, no, he, uh, I didn't like the way that the suit, like, pushed up his neck so he had a double chin. Like, that is all, really nitpicky. All of my and complaints, like... I just, like, well, my issue is that in superhero movies, they're constantly pulling <laughs> off the mask because they want to get what they paid for. They hired oh, totally. a they hired a box office actor. Yeah. They want to get the box office results. So he, heroes in superhero movies are constantly pulling off their mask, and I don't like it. And I don't <laughs> like it when you see Tobey Maguire's I little. Like it. I don't like it one bit. <laughs> I just don't like seeing his like. He's just this puffy <laughs> little like. I'm Spider Man, and he's kind of got like wet eyes because he's like crying, or I I just don't he think he does he's... have wet eyes. Yeah, he's like a. <laughs> I don't think he... And he's, like, fucking 40 in those movies, and it's like, you're in high school? Get yeah. out of here. He does have that sort of, like, haggard look about him. Yeah, I don't like Tobey Maguire. <laughs> I've seen Cider House Rules. I've oh, seen Seabiscuit. <laughs> I can't say anything for Seabiscuit. Seabiscuit is bad. Cider House Rules, I think, is actually pretty good. Cider House Rules is amazing. <laughs> Michael Caine? And isn't oh. he in that one about uh, the rocket, flying the rockets? Oh, wait. The coal miner sons who... Wait, no, fly. that is Jake Gyllenhaal, right? Maybe. Kyle, look it up. Kyle, come here. <laughs> <laughs> Faster! <laughs> uh, clap warning. <laughs> the levels are going to I feel like you should have probably said that before the clap. <laughs> um, but then Kyle would have seen it coming and ducked me. That's true. Even with these chains, he's rather nimble. <laughs> so at this point... Anti-mutant hysteria. Anti- which yes. you, I think you do have a, a solid point about it doesn't really hold water... Mm-hmm. That, you know, like superheroes are beloved and mutants are hated. But I think, and you would hear Stan Lee talk about how he had always intended this to be like a metaphor for civil rights. He would argue that Magneto mm-hmm. is a metaphor for Malcolm X and uh, Charles Xavier is the Martin Luther King. And I don't think Stan Lee was thinking that much about it. I think I think Jack Kirby plotted those stories by drawing pages yeah with dialogue sort of penciled in and stanley came in and punched it up and really sold those things that motherfucker could sell a book <laughs> i love him dearly but he's kind of like that corny uncle that you have grown up where he's so Excelsior! cool yeah he's so cool when you're young and then you kind of you're like ah this is a little sad but right. you still love him and yeah. i love stanley don't get me wrong but jack kirby created the Marvel Universe. I feel like that's a really good way to um, describe him as just sort of like your lovable, but also like kind of like pathetic uncle. Trash uncle. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Stanley was not thinking that deeply about the X-Men. I I think it was really Chris Claremont, who is an amazing writer. He had his ticks and flaws, but he is, no one can argue that he is the definitive X-Men writer. He's the one who made the mutant metaphor, like, very, like, very metaphor-heavy, I would say. Yeah. And Stan Lee gets to, like, and slide in the back and be like, I did that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it also helps that Jack Kirby, like, died, like, 20 years ago. 1993. Rest uh, in peace. R.I.P. Yeah. Um, the king. <laughs> the king of comics. Anyway, issue two and issue three 
you just get a lot of like superheroes as celebrities like there's a lot of focus on the fantastic four who in my opinion are another example of just like i don't know why they get any attention they are so boring are you in Sane. They're so Even... boring. It's just like, yep, they're, yeah. Oh my God. You know what it, this is? This is the perception of them as boring because they don't have a good movie. This is what uh... that is because they have, there's an amazing story to be, to be, there's amazing stories that have been mined from the Fantastic Four. You can go cosmic, you know, like reality altering all this. You can go small scale family dynamic. And I think it works, works best when it's a mix of both. I mean, they're not even really superheroes. They're explorers, and they're just kind of like they—they're responsible for Marvel Comics. They're yeah. they, Fantastic Four number one kicked off Marvel Comics as we know. Before that, it was Timely and Atlas, and they were just like that. And then Fantastic <laughs> Four is where again Jack Kirby and Stanley <laughs> made things sing, and they—they they kicked off marvel comics i just have never felt compelled to like read any comics that they're in or to even explore like anything that they have going on you know i bet i could i i'm thinking of one run in particular but i i bet i could get you mm. into them mm. but i don't know justin i'm gonna wait until you you've forget. had one win don't don't I'm get a big w- head about this okay? i'm gonna which win this one this book Seven to Eternity. Okay, fine. That was also good. Yes. You, I okay, think what had... I'm, what I'm, my plan is to wait until you've forgotten that I challenged you, <laughs> and then I'm going to slip it in late in the game. Mm. But I, okay, I'll say this: they may be more beloved for their place in comics history as like sort of the start, the genesis of Marvel Comics. Yeah. As we know it, I think that there are a lot of great stories to be mined from them. Um, I mean, especially like this story in issue three, which Marvel's focuses on is the coming of galactus Mm -hmm. is one of the like it's sort of universally praised as like one of the greatest epics in all of comics i have actually to my shame never read the full galactus story as it was originally printed and i almost brought that was almost my choice for this week's podcast but i kind of knew that you wouldn't like the corny dialogue it's pretty dated and so i i really feel like that that's actually what got me thinking about this book is i was like well I want Hannah to experience those classic runs, mm-hmm. but I don't want to give her like dated material because I, yeah, that like even for myself, someone who loves comic books, old comics can be a little hard to read. Like the comics that I read most easily are comics from the early 2000s. And I think that's because that's when I was doing the majority of my comics reading. Mm-hmm. So like I can flip open like a book from the 70s or 80s might take me a minute to like get into and like even want to pick up to read. Yeah. A book from the from the 2000s, I can pick that thing up, read it in 30 seconds because I like speak that language. Yeah, and I I totally get that. I think it's just like like even the Galactus thing, like I was reading it in this book in Marvels and I was just like I was not compelled to like follow that outside of this you know what i mean like i'm not gonna go like pick up any fantastic four i'm not really interested in that run there's something about that villain and i know i'm like simplifying it because i just haven't read anything about it aside from what's in this book but it just doesn't seem interesting it's like a giant man from space and like oh also the silver surfer it's like what it's like there was even one line where it's like oh he's surfing on the like the wave and it's like okay that's really fucking lame like i don't know I think this is one example where um, the art falls a little short. And I I say that 
it's amazing art. The cover for this issue is the silver. It's like the Silver Surfer, and Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, is reflected the on the silver. The, the, the new Human Torch, the new and improved. Sure. <laughs> but he's reflected like on the Silver Surfer's pecs and abs, and you get this cool like double image of like this fireman flying at a silver god kind of thing. Yeah. It's so the imagery is like. Don't get me wrong. Alex Ross is an amazing artist. I really like that. It's a very striking comic, but there's something about Jack Kirby's work that's so larger than life. Like, when you see Galactus here, he just looks like a big man. Yeah. He looks like... It's like... And you, you he's like, oh, he's just another villain. He's just a big man. But in Jack Kirby, he had this way of, like, these two-page spreads that just, like, the scale that he could draw at, mm-hmm. he wasn't, like, a slave to perspective... So he created this almost like fisheye, larger than life, like crazy perspective that just worked. And I think that this is a case where maybe going a little more realistic kind of cost this book some points, in my opinion. Uh, Where like Galactus gets knocked down, which would have been huge in the original. But in this, it's kind of like, ah, he just kind of looks like a chubby dude. I know, yeah. It's just like a really bad, he looks like a chubby dude in bad cosplay. He's just like, like falling over and you're just like, oh God, okay, man from space, I get it. Like I'm so uninterested in this. The concept of of the Fantastic Four was the Fantastic Four versus God. And it's not exactly (laughs) subtle. The Galactus had this big fat G on his belt buckle and like, like it, but it's like the idea of like, They'd never fought some like a being that literally devoured planets. The scale of that. Then why don't you just devour Earth and be done with it? That's what he was doing. Was he? Yeah, that's what all those machines he's like setting up. The Silver Surfer is his herald who seeks out worlds for him to eat, Mm -hmm. and so the Silver Surfer ends up like being moved by humanity's like struggle, I guess. Yeah. And so he turns on Galactus, and his power comes from Galactus, and is so puny. But together with the Fantastic Four and the Silver Surfer and a deus ex machina they're able to like turn the tide and in return the silver surfer is banished to earth and he sort of lost his way among these savages yeah and the fantastic four then johnny storm goes to college (laughs) (laughs) and it's like just another day (laughs) i feel like if we were telling that story now it'd be like Johnny, it would be like John, the equivalent of Johnny Storm having a bad acid trip where he like <laughs> comes to school, like maybe like some sort of bad acid trip that kicked off like schizophrenia because yeah. he's just like, I think in the original comic, he like flies through space as the human torch yeah, to get this. So it's like, yeah. he's just like, oh my God, like, the world is like the world as we know it is nothing but a remote dust speck in the <laughs> large scheme of, oh my God. You know? Everyone's like, yeah, cool. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> like, His like doormates, like yeah. I'm going to transfer. Okay. Yeah, he doesn't bathe. It's really always hot in here. Like, <laughs> uh, like, you okay, bud? You okay? Yeah, I... Well, that's I, the other thing about that whole event is, like, our main dude, our bro Phil, he, like, um... He basically is like, oh, well, the world is ending. He's like, I guess I better go home and, like, be with my family. So he, like, walks from, like, New York. Cause, uh, basically, it's like the apocalypse. Like, everything is shut down. There are, like, cars on the freeway. Like, people are, like, looting and just, like, trying to, like, get out of town. And so he basically walks back to his family, and then by the time he gets back to the house, it's like, oh, it's done, everything's over, and they're like, okay, I guess life carries on as usual. That's not the sense that I got. The sense I got is that this conflict, like, stretched out, and so he, like, when it first happens, because his wife calls, everybody's watch. everyone's glued to the TV or He's looking like, out the now, window. not now, Doris. Yeah, dick. Yeah. And, he goes, <laughs> and so he doesn't answer, and he's like... 
and then they're all stunned and then the news people sort of like they all kind of like we're newsmen after all so they go they go out pounding the pavement for the story and he starts doing that and then he's like what am i doing like yeah if this is the end of the world i, I know where, with my family yeah i know yeah. where i want to be and he leaves and he walks to new york and he i, I out of new york out of new york and i didn't get the sense that like when he gets there it's over i got the sense that he goes and he's with his family and they're just kind of together for a long time and then it comes out over time that the fantastic four were able to turn the tide and they're like well we'll never really know what happens it's kind of cool they give like this outside where early marvel comics would really spell things out yeah like i'm doing this now this is like you get this glimpse of like and then i think the thing did this thing and then this happened we don't really know and then it's like over and mm -hmm. life goes on mm. and the marvels continued to be treated by shit by the public at large even though they literally just saved the planet from god well i think that's what you just said is the that's sort of like the tagline for this entire book yeah yeah <laughs> i thought it was funny because like obviously crossovers are big in marvel com like inter <laughs> not intercompany crossovers are a thing in comics but also just Marvel Comics kind of kicked off. I don't want to say they kicked off. Marvel Comics has a history of, you know, putting their characters in other characters' books. Yeah. And so you'd think, like, if a giant planet-eating god showed up, the Avengers would be there to help out the Fantastic Four. But they're not in that story. And then so in this story, Marvel's, you get this weird kind of byline where they're like, the Avengers spokesperson says they were trapped outside the city. And you're like... That's so pathetic. Like, you know, like, I feel like the public at large would be like, ah, you cowards. Yeah. Like, and turned tail and ran. Mm -hmm. Thank God for the Fantastic Four. Yikes, yeah. <laughs> issue four? Yeah. So, issue four is basically just Spider-Man. Yeah. And I think this kind of, don't quote me on this, but. You're literally recording it, so. Don't put this out in public. Okay. No, just, yeah, no. don't. Okay. So I think this is kind of the end. Of, I think this is the end of the Silver Age, if I'm mm -hmm. not mistaken. So issue one is kind of the Golden Age, the advent of superheroes and yeah. war comics. Um, issue two is the Silver Age and the creation of the Marvel comic superheroes. And then the death of Gwen Stacy. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> the death of Gwen Stacy potentially kicks off a darker period in comics mm -hmm. um i don't i don't know that comics historians consider that to be the death of the silver age but i kind of see it as a marker where you know it's like you killed saint gwen stacy like she yeah. was literally the perfect girlfriend according to stan lee you well know? so that's what's kind of interesting because obviously i don't know i think that now it's like if you asked anybody on the street like who's spider-man's girlfriend they would say mary jane so what is the deal with Gwen Stacy? Because, like, obviously she's gotten a lot more popular now, especially with, like, Spider-Verse and, like, also the Andrew Garfield Spider-Mans. But, like, um, yeah, it's just, like, what? Is it just because she died so early? And yeah. No one ever talks about, in Spider-Verse, like, with this Gwen Stacy character, like, how that would fuck up Peter Parker really bad. It's like, <laughs> he's, like, this 40-something-year-old, he's divorced, and all of a sudden... His, his high school girlfriend yeah, that his, he killed tragically. His perfect first love, like, ex, or not ex, but dead girlfriend shows yeah. up alive and well. And she's also 
roughly the age he was when they dated and you're just this sad yeah. side it's like but also that, now he, she's into his like protege yeah, miles morales it'd, like it'd be this thing where she might not even have any idea that she died in his universe and he's just like dude i can't be around you well, like, maybe this is... maybe she didn't die in his universe either what is it peter b parker yeah yeah i think she died i think that pretty much is like and that the... is really fucking weird that they didn't address that like i i'm just to me that's just my own little like shits and giggles i think about that stuff where i'm like that would be so messed up that's your shits and giggles that's really dark justin (laughs) so isn't it funny to think about this guy's dead girlfriend coming back to life and haunting him in this other alternative universe well when you put it like that that's really fucked up sounds hilarious (laughs) do you want me to ask kyle to remove that part no (laughs) the boy needs to hear this if he's ever gonna grow up and be a man he needs to hear this okay so gwen stacy yeah the death of gwen stacy the way that kind of works is so peter parker is a loser in high school and he dates a handful of people, Liz Allen, Betty Brand, nothing really takes off. And then Steve Ditko and Stanley in real life have creative differences. And S- Steve Ditko is a famous comics curmudgeon. I love him. But so Why he... is it that so many comic artists and writers are just like cranky old men? This is a medium for introverted losers and repro- <laughs> like, you know, arrested you development. You first, folks. I <laughs> gladly count myself among those numbers. Like I, I wear that. Mm-hmm. I fly that flag it's like That's... angry shut-ins <laughs> yeah no okay so he's just like he's a very principled and angry person he's yeah. very into ayn rand and he like had created like that's why the the early peter parker is this kind of sniveling angry loser like you almost don't feel bad for him so they switch artists to jazzy john ramita and john ramita came I'm from sorry what John, Jazzy John Romita. Yeah, it was is, one of the nicknames Stanley gave him. He wow, that motherfucker could sell books. Also, Stanley is truly the creepy uncle. So, so John <laughs> Romita uh, comes from romance comics. So suddenly, Peter Parker looks very handsome, and all the women that are in the comic are very attractive. Mm. And it really, actually, it kind of works for the soap opera elements of this comic. Like John Romita is a is a really, really, really talented artist, and so. There's this kind of running gag that I think started with Ditko, but then John Romita is sort of the punchline where Aunt May is trying to set Peter up with Mary Jane Parker, her friend's niece. And Peter's like, oh my God, no. She's probably going to be some weird, ugly looking whatever. And so he like, and you constantly... Shallow much, Spider-Man? No, seriously. But so you, he just doesn't want to get involved with his aunt's friend's niece. He's Fair just enough, like, yeah. He doesn't want to be set up. And she's like... They keep doing this thing where her face will be blocked by these panels. Like, it'll be like, oh, you just missed Peter. He stepped out. And so there's this whole thing. And then when she's finally revealed in Spider-Man drawn by John Romita Jr., she's like mm-hmm. a bombshell. And she's yeah. got that famous line, like, you just hit the jackpot, tiger. Oh, okay. And so there's this kind of, like, love triangle. They bring a lot of the romance comics elements into um, Spider-Man where he's dating Gwen Stacy, but... You know, he. I think he takes Mary Jane out once or twice, and they're both these kind of attractive women who are like into him, and he's into them, and like. Wait, so Gwen Stacy is still alive when he meets Mary Jane? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's so fucking weird. And she actually dates Harry Osborn. One of the things the Sam Raimi movies got right. Mary Jane. Yeah. Okay. She dates. This is a period where Peter Parker moves from being an angry loner to like he's got a core group of friends, and he makes peace with his childhood bully, and they kind of like there's still conflict there, but like. It's an interesting time in Spider-Man. Also, it's like, that is a cast that truly could have only existed in the early 2000s, where it's Tobey Maguire, James Franco, 
Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. Like, what? Like, I feel like that right now would be a casting director's nightmare. Like, what? Like, it's like, (laughs) can you imagine trying to, like, cast them in any movie now? Like, all together where you're like, what do I even do with these people? Yeah, like... (laughs) So, basically, like, he goes on to date uh, Gwen Stacy and Mary Jane dates Harry Osborn. Well, it's just, it's so weird that she played such a huge part in Spider-Man because I think that Gwen Stacy's having this, like, revival now, but, like, before... Thanks to Jason Latour and Spider-Gwen. Yeah, yeah, it's, like, before, um, like, a few years ago, like, I don't, I don't think the majority of people had ever even heard of her. Well, she got done real dirty. It was not cool what they did to her. Like, yeah. we're talking women in refrigerators. It was not I thought cool. about that a lot, yeah, when I was yeah. reading this. I mean, yeah. so, basically, what happens is that Phil... Um, our boy Phil, he kind of like, he gets to this point where he's just like, I'm really sick and tired of people shitting on superheroes. He basically sets out to find out who killed Gwen Stacy's father. Cause at this point, Spider-Man is basically being accused of his death and he's like a pretty high up police officer, right? He's Captain George Stacy. Right. And so it's like the way that it's being told to the public is that in a fight with like Doc Ock, like he basically pushes over this like chimney and it falls on a group of people and um Gwen Stacy's dad ends up getting crushed to death basically saving the child but saving yeah, a he... child getting crushed to death but um, so this is like this was like soap opera gold for Peter Part for the Spider-Man stories that were published where she like Gwen Stacy now hates Spider-Man because he killed her father right but she's also dating he's Peter dating Parker. Peter Parker oh! Which actually, Peter Parker makes a couple cameos because obviously, um, our boy Phil is like a freelance photographer, journalist, so he's gonna be around the bugle a lot. I thought, and he the, fucking the, hates Peter Parker. These like, scenes <laughs> are so funny. Yeah, because he's trying to convince Jonah to be more balanced in his cover of superheroes. He's yeah. kind of this, at this point, he's on his superhero crusade. And Peter Parker keeps coming in yeah. and being like, "Hey, I got these pictures of Spider-Man. Like they make He's him really look fucking up. Like, yeah, they make him look awful." And, <laughs> and like, I think what is what does Phil call him? A little weasel. Yeah, and he's just it's like, like fucking and weasel. And it's like he is Spider-Man. I know. Well, also, okay, so this is the part where, um, okay, is it J. Jonah Jameson, J. J. Jameson, How? J. Jonah Jameson? Okay, so like this is the part where right now he's sort of just been like Phil's like friend slash co-worker this whole time a he's colleague call, he's just been kind of jaded and just like but he has this moment where phil kind of asks him he's just like why are you like so into reporting on the like bullshit aspect of superheroes and he's and then uh jay jonah jameson kind of says this thing where he's just like how are we as normal people ever supposed to like measure up to them you know it's like if we aren't you know if we're not shining a light on, like, why they're terrible, it's like, how are we ever supposed to, like, live with ourselves as these kind of subpar versions of what they are? It's a total, it's a moment of, like, he's like, look, if they're as perfect and noble, as selfless as everyone says they are, then what the hell are we, you know? like what? Which I just love that part because yeah. I feel like, obviously, in the movies and, like, with J.K. Simmons's portrayal of J. Jonah Jameson, like, he's played, I think, more for comic relief. And then it's, like, when you get this moment with him, you're, like, fuck. Like, that's, like, I don't know. It was really good. But, yeah, so so basically Phil is, like, um, on the quest to find out who killed Gwen Stacy's dad. And in doing so, he actually befriends Gwen Stacy. And, like, they spend a ton of time together, and he's, like, interviewing her. And I feel like 
he kind of has these sort of like fatherly feelings towards her. He's just like, you know, he he's, he he feels bad for her. Like she, and obviously he hates the fact that she's dating Peter Parker. There is in this moment, like the Green Goblin, like he grabs Gwen Stacy and like Phil sees it. And so he's running after them and he basically gets to the bridge right at that moment when um the Green Goblin basically tosses Gwen Stacy and then Spider-Man like shoots a web and grabs her like to keep her from falling but in doing so she snaps her neck and Phil sees all of this and it basically just fucking destroys him like he kind of is like he's sort of done yeah he he has this sort of extended sequence where he's grieving and mourning and he'd been on this quest to clear Spider-Man's name and to restore like to give people a balanced perspective on yeah. the marvels he turned down book offers to make a a book about supervillains like he he does like he's got this stuff he's got a quest essentially and then this breaks him and he's like i've seen too much somebody else has to take it from here and he quits okay and this is where i knocked points off of my initial i did too okay because what the fuck it's basically like we are basically seeing the beginnings of phil's like mental breakdown (laughs) yeah it's like he essentially like the last few pages of this are just sort of like the precursor to his midlife crisis they're very manic yeah like where it's basically like he's just like he's like you know what I'm going to quit. He basically gives his camera to his assistant and he walks out and he makes her take a picture of him like with his wife and this random fucking newspaper boy. Yeah. He's like, he's like, come here, boy. Like, I'm going to, he's like, we're going to take a photo together. And you're like, why not your daughter? I know. And also it's just like, and this newspaper guy's like, okay. And he, and I think the last line of the book is something like, we're going to take a picture with Jimmy here, a totally normal boy. And then it's like, end scene. And you're like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah, it. I think it It could have been a touching moment if he quit and he's like, I'm going to spend time with my family, takes a photo with his family. Yes, you oh know, my so, gosh. But it's like, but the fa- the inclusion of this random kid just makes it seem like... Insane. Like he's just, <laughs> the death of, Brent, of Ben Stacy, the death of Gwen Stacy <laughs> broke him and he's like, I'm fucking done. This yeah. is my son now and we're going <laughs> to, like, like, I don't like... Like if there was a follow-up comic to this, it would just be like Phil in like lounge pants, like basically just spiraling deeper into depression like Doris is like Phil do you want to go to the movies he's like not now Doris as he's like covered in Dorito crumbs like (laughs) it's just like it it was insane yeah I feel like the way that I wanted this to end would be like yeah exactly like you were saying where maybe he takes like one final picture with his family and then he's like you know what I think it's time for me to like take some time and he basically would put his camera into the drawer of his desk and like close it and then you just get this picture of him like even Doris could be like oh Phil it's dinner time and he's like coming honey and then it's like fade to black like you know what I mean like instead it's just like you get you get the images of like Phil in his fucking like on his couch deteriorating slowly like (laughs) (laughs) Uh, in a time before mental health awareness was like not a thing like he's just like (laughs) he's just traumatized by the death of this girl and forever is going to be dealing with that but other than that (laughs) pretty good book yeah really good book I might even say my favorite out of everything we've reviewed so far I would agree yeah I mean it's definitely the highest rated that we've I'm I'm worried that I'm giving it that rating because I as a young boy as a young child I loved Marvel. Marvel was my jam. DC was whatever. I read any comic at the library, but like if I yeah. was buying comics, all Marvel all the time. Lately, I feel like I've come to the realization that the big two mainstream companies, Marvel and DC, 
they're like roller coasters. Yeah. You get on, you ride it for a little bit, and then pretty soon you start to see the sort of cyclical nature of it, where it's like, it's going to be the same thing over and over again. You see storylines repeated, you know, nods to the past. And so I kind of, like, these days find myself leaning towards interesting independent works, yeah. create our own stuff. I like to branch out. But I do have this, like, soft spot in my heart for Marvel, so I'm slightly afraid that this affects my rating of it. But in general, like, I think this is my favorite of no, all. No, I, and I would say it's, like, I... This, I think, is just an objectively good comic book. I think that, yeah, normally I... Again, like I mentioned before, like, I really don't like superhero comics. Um, and like you were saying, like, it's, like, there's just too many storylines. There are too many, like, alternative universes. There's no... Um, what's the word I want to use? It's, like, not accountability. But basically, it's, like, if a character dies... I, it's like you don't feel anything because you're just like, who cares? Like, sales, another... will, sales will bring them back. Yeah, exactly. Like in another storyline, it's like there's no there's no emotional buy-in because you're just like, whatever. Like this character is going to come back at any time and they'll just be like, oh, it was a separate universe. And it's just like, okay, like I guess, but I don't know. It's like that's why it's like when you read books, like it's like characters die and they are they never coming dead. back. Like, right. yeah, it's just like... I don't know. Yeah. I think that this is one of the strengths of this book is that like this was such a complete story and you got the emotional ups and downs of people like you had a death, you had loss, you had destruction, you had triumph, you had all of these things in this book and then it was over. Whereas in mainstream comics, you're looking at a a serialized art form that comes out monthly. And so they try to the the two big companies will tell you that this is all one grand tapestry and this is all one giant interconnected story and you're getting it but the but that's not really true because writers you know they retread the same ground they revamp the things they don't like it's the the idea of continuity is an illusion and so it's kind of nice to see one-off books written with a beginning middle end and just strong storytelling both in writing and in execution of the art i think well that's also what's nice too because it's sort of like it's like when a really good show comes out and you find out it's only one season you're like oh thank fucking god where it's just like just a just a complete package in one thing like you don't have to like be like oh like you know now i've got to keep up with this thing forever yeah and hope that it doesn't get bad or mediocre right exactly it this is yeah i think that reading this now this is a book that i'll probably revisit in a few years there are a couple of books in my collection that i kind of like I come back to every few years and I find new meaning there. And I think that this might be one of those books. Yeah. Again, if you have anyone in your life who like is not into comics and you're like, oh, but how do I get them to be into comics? Like I would just give them this book. Like, yeah, yeah if only someone had introduced it to me much earlier on. Fair. <laughs> um, but to be honest, like sometimes there there's stuff that's so good, but you don't think about, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, I mean, I thought you would like it. I didn't really think you'd like it this much. I'm, I am a little surprised. Um, I just, like, I think it's the double whammy of, like, the art and then just the general, like, good storytelling. So, yeah. yeah. As always, you can pick up comics at your local library or comic shop. Right. And we're also not going to tell you what we're reading because we're tired of pigeonholing ourselves into a schedule. It's a secret. <laughs> Also, we're very unorganized. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. New episodes drop every Wednesday.
Sign out.